G'day and welcome to Property Australia's favourite obsession. My name's Jeremy Cownan and I'm your host and today's episode is all about how infrastructure can change the locational value of land. See, land with the most valuable natural advantage will always be sought after and priced the highest. But this natural advantage can change with the addition of our five drivers of property prices. Infrastructure, technology, population, government and credit. History shows us that these are the drivers of property prices. And it's these drivers that my discussion centres around today as I'm joined by Dr. Sal McCagliano. See, Sal is an Associate Professor of History at Campbell University with a special interest in maritime and American history. Prior to his academic appointment, Sal worked for the US Merchant Marine and with the Department of Defence. And today, Sal will tell us the story of the Humble Canal. So Sal McCogliano, welcome to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Thank you, appreciate it. Now, Sal, COVID-19 disrupted economies around the world, you know, impacting supply uh, routes and production and the general flow of goods. But there was another event in March 2021 that compounded those supply problems even further. Do you want to touch on what happened um, with the boat, the, uh, the Ever Given? Sure. Uh, Ever Given is what we refer to as an ultra-large container ship. She's one of the biggest container ships in the world. Uh, we're talking about a, a vessel of, of epic size, uh, almost 400 metres long, uh, about 100 metres wide, uh, just tremendously sized vessel carrying 20,000 containers, over 200,000 tons. To give you an idea, uh, the largest U.S. Navy aircraft carrier could fit inside Ever Given, and you can stack another one on top of her and still have room inside that vessel. Uh, That vessel was heading from uh, Asia to Europe, uh, heading northbound in the Suez Canal, the Suez Canal, which was built back in 1869, when she experienced heavy weather, a wind event is what we believe uh, caused this. And the vessel lost control. Her bow rammed into Asia. Her stern went aground on Africa. And she was straddling the Suez Canal. And in one instant, choked off 12% of the world trade. Uh, and this vital waterway, this connector between the Mediterranean and the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, which is an extremely vital waterway, now all of a sudden found itself closed for six days. And the world really watched because no one was really sure they would be able to get the Ever Given off. Uh, There was questions about whether the ship would break up in the canal. Uh, And so world trade just started to pile up every day on average, about 50 to 60 vessels go through the canal. So by the time she got free after six days, you had almost 400 vessels lined up in a queue north and south of the canal, ready to roll. And you actually had started to divert some vessels around the Cape of Good Hope which, I mean, you're adding thousands of kilometers and miles to, to, to an ocean voyage. So uh, that canal has been a linchpin in ocean transport and, and in, in basically an accident in all of a few seconds, uh, you lost control of the vessel, closed the canal and impacted trade. And in many ways, we're still feeling that right now. We're still getting caught up from that disruption that we saw in, in trade back in March. And this particular canal i mean we're not talking um you know how long is it you know how 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 long is the canal itself it's a it's it's about 160 miles long so it's a it's a it's a fairly long canal it takes you about 16 hours uh to transit through it uh uh, mariners i i sailed for a while uh refer to it as the ditch 
uh, because that's what it is. It's a big ditch. There's no locks. There's no, uh, uh, you know, uh, controls to go up and down. Uh, it's basically just dug through the sand. And again, it, it all of a sudden turned the Mediterranean, which was a basin now into a throughway. And you can move ships very easily. Uh, when it was created through a joint British and French company in the 1860s, it really wanted to cut down the time necessary to get from Europe to Asia, to Australia, to New Zealand. Uh, but also it was a safer passage in many ways. You didn't have to worry about the weather in the Southern Ocean going around the Cape. Uh, and it just really created a secure route that was beneficial. And at the time, especially for the British Empire at the time, they controlled all the points along the canal and along those sea routes. So it was very geopolitical too. So this is one of the things that we talk a lot here on um, our podcast, Patho, that it's all about you know land. It's all about the locational value of a land, the 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 natural um, locational advantage that uh, one piece of land has over another. And and this particular 160 odd miles, it's very very important with regards to its geographical location, isn't it? Um, the way it can cut those trade routes, speed it up much quicker, much safer, um, and of course um, you know saving um, uh, you know hundreds of miles of uh, of of gas etc. to to push boats around. And it's it's really important for for us to think about the impacts that that canals you know do have. I mean, obviously we've got uh, the sewers and and the Panama Canal, but you know for 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 thousands of years, you know, mankind has been using canals of one sort or another, haven't they? No, they, they have. And I, I think one of the things to add to that is is you know canals by them you know make that territory really important. You know, prior to the Suez Canal. You know, the Sinai Peninsula, beyond its biblical and religious implications, really wasn't that valuable piece of real estate. But once you put the canal in, then it becomes a really geopolitical and economic area that, that's of extreme importance. Same thing with the Panama. I mean, the mm. Panama Isthmus, you know, by itself is not inherently, you know, valuable for any reason. But once you put the canal through it, same thing with the Kiel Canal, the Grand Canal, and, and you put these canals and now all of a sudden you create these these areas that are extremely important. You know, Singapore is, is a nexus. That's that's a natural nexus between the Pacific and Indian Ocean. But now you create the Suez Canal and you create it. And, and the thing with canals too is they're expensive. It's a lot of upfront cost to build a canal typically, mm. but it's the return. It's what is the return you get from that canal? both economically and in, in, in terms of maybe tolls, but also trade and how it connects your civilizations together, your nations, your empires together that are really important. Well, even going back, you know, in times gone past, I mean, the, the Vikings used a canal system to facilitate trade and uh, ensure that, um, um, you know, that they were able to, um, you know, travel, et cetera, um, didn't they? Oh, they did. I mean, lots of ancient civilizations, if you look at even the Greeks with the Corinth Canal, for example, over Peloponnesia, were really always kind of developing these ways because they realized the importance. I mean, it, it's very clear throughout history it is much easier to put cargo into a boat and, and move it that way than it is to strap it on your back or put it on a horse or a mule or whatever type of conveyance you have and be able to move it. It's just it is that much simpler. And if you can create shortcuts, which basically what a canal is, it's it's a shortcut, it's 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 a passageway that gives you an advantage. Then you can all of a sudden maximize your ability to trade. And again, what it does is is it generates wealth, it generates security, it generates. And I think that's one of the things that we saw when the Suez Canal cl closed. All of a sudden, everybody's security was like, whoa, mm. you know, goods we thought were coming naturally all of a sudden weren't. 
And we kind of take it for granted. We take it for granted that this, these passageways and these waterways are always going to be open. We, we experience that when we're driving down a, a highway or, or, or a turnpike and the road closes. And now all of a sudden we got to figure out ways to divert around. And it causes those backlogs that we see. In ocean, it's magnified because of the, the volume of trade that's on there. But you're exactly right. Uh, I mean, the, the Vikings, you know, a lot of seafaring races and, and nations that look toward the sea for their economies and trade are always looking for that advantage. What's the better way? What's the more secure way for me uh, to travel? You know, along the East Coast of the United States, we established a series of small little canals, not big canals, like the Cape Cod Canal. But what it did was a short little cut you know around you don't have to go around the cape uh cape cod in massachusetts but that kept you out of the atlantic kept you out of the gulf stream it kept you out of the shell shell water and it made sure that you had an effective way to move cargo quickly so talking you know taking that point a bit further um you know the grand canal dates back to the fifth century bc um uh you know works its way some 775 kilometers starting in Beijing. It's, uh, it's an enormous canal that's been used you know, for literally thousands and thousands of years. It's had huge impact on the way in which um, you know, cargo and, and commerce has been transacted in, in, in China. Um, you know, those sort of canals that we, we talk about, I mean, how difficult are they to actually build and, and, and construct? Well, you know, it, it depends on the nature of the canal, where you're building the canal, obviously, you know, in a very simple term, you're digging a hole. So, I mean, all you need is a shovel and, and you can basically create a canal. Uh, obviously, the, the scope of the, of the soil you need is, is, is different. In the case of the Grand Canal, again, we tend to think of the Grand Canal as this one huge massive canal that links the Yangtze and the Yellow River. Again, two massive rivers that penetrate into the interior of China. Now you create a connector between the two. So you don't have to go out into the East China Sea and sail out of the, you know, the, the estuary, out of the tributaries into the ocean. And now you can cut right between them. And, and one of the things you see is a series of projects and they tend to be series, you know, small little elements that eventually bridge themselves together. And one of the things that you see is these are large national infrastructure projects. I'm in the United States where we're debating infrastructure here in the United States a lot. And, and these are national projects. And, and these are investments that they can be made in a society because they know there's going to be an economic return for them. Yes, we're going to spend a lot of money, a lot of time. I may not see the benefit myself of the Grand Canal in my generation, but my future generations, and that's a big thing with China, they love to look at the state and, 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 and you know the future of it, they're going to invest in. And it's also some of the best engineering we see. We see some of the most earliest forms of, of engineering being built where you know, you're digging the, the, the canal without water anywhere near it, and then you're busting dams to let the water flow in. And you're really coming up with ways to deal with the natural environment. And you're also changing the environment. That's the other thing too with canals is, is you know, you're changing the nature of the environment. So we're having that impact. We tend to think today, you know, global warming and, and all the events that we do to the earth, this is being done throughout history. We're always changing the course of rivers. And, and that's what you're doing with a canal. You're creating this, this artificial way for water to flow. And, you know, right now in China, they're experiencing that with floods, with dams breaking, because they've, they've tried to, you know, again, control water. And one of the ways they do that is through by cycling these waters off into these canal ways. But for China, it was a unifying event, I would argue. This is the thing that the Chinese 
you know, you go through the Chinese dynasties, mm -hmm. but the Chinese dynasties were able to use this as a unifying project. You know, how do you bring the Mandarin and, and Cantonese together? And in many ways, the Grand Canal is that bridge between those two separate dialects and, and societies in Chinese history. I think it's pretty fair to say, Sal, that um, um, the Industrial Revolution really kicked off the canal mania, though, didn't it? Um, that it was because of the, the, the transportation pre-Industrial Revolution. It just wasn't fitting for that period, was it? Um, you know, you had the roads were, 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 were typical mud tracks that were cut up. Um, you know, leaving ruts, etc. Um, you know, you had the the turnpike trusts that were, um, you know, there to maintain the roads with tolls, but you just couldn't move the volume of uh, goods that was required um, through the Industrial Revolution. What it was demanding. No, and you're exactly right. You know, one of the things that happens, one of, one of the key things for the Industrial Revolution is the agricultural revolution before it. You know, you start generating more food. You know, once you have more food, once you're you're more productive on the farms. And you, you, you need less people on the farms. You have that reservoir of people now you can put into industry. And in particularly where we see it, you know, the classic example of this is, is England and coal and, and the coal industry and the textile industry. You know, what's easier to move? Is it easier to move the coal? Is it easier to move the textiles? And you had that issue with, you know, in the Midlands of England, right there, that center mountain, you know, of, of England, you have all that coal. Basically, it's a huge coal nugget, mm. Great Britain, you know, and you have to get it either get the coal, you know, either put the factories there in the Midlands or get the coal down. And so you see the creation of these canals systems. They, they come up with this idea of, of, of you know, let's, let's make these artificial waterways that we can load heavy items. I, I, again, you know, a barge loaded with coal, you and I can push it ourselves if we had to because of that buoyancy. And more importantly, because of current, you can move it. A canal can also be powered. You can hook it up to a wagon team of mules or horses or a steam propulsion of some kind. And now you can move vast quantities. And that was a real issue was coal. You know, having, having an efficient fuel source has always been an issue in the Industrial Revolution. Wood isn't an efficient fuel source. It, it, it clogs up your, your, your furnaces with ash. You don't get the BTUs off of it. You need coal. And so you really generate that. So in England, you see the creation of these, these canals that are just built, again, because they're much more efficient. You don't have to worry about ruts in a canal. It's, yeah. it's always smooth. You, know? you don't have to worry about bumps. Uh, it, it's always good. You can maintain it. You can draft it. You can build locks into the canal, and you know you would see lock. You, see, you would see canals in England with sixty-nine locks. You know these 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 crazy kind of lock systems. But again, locks are actually fairly easy to use. It's a simple piping system. You don't need pumps. You just allow the water from the higher section to flow to the lower section. And, you know, you create rivalry, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Liverpool, which is a huge port. Now, all of a sudden, Manchester can become a major port because you open up a canal to Manchester. And then I believe that's the only rivalry that exists between Liverpool and Manchester is their canal system. It's, um, I mean, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Like, it's, it just really is interesting, isn't it, that like such a simple solution, um, you know, to, to haul bulk goods um. And also been able to transport uh, fragile goods as well that, you know, as you said, a, a barge, it's, it's very stable. Um, you know, typically the early ones had the, um, uh, like the walkways along the side where it could be pulled by a man or a mule or a horse or, or, or whatever. Um, but there's just huge advantages, um, you know, that as you said, once they're built, they're, they're very cheap to run. Um, you know, a barge that, that takes, you know, 50 tons of coal, you know, a couple of men, from my understanding, uh, in the early days could look after that. Um, so it has huge, huge advantages. 
Um, uh, would you say there's any particular disadvantages um, from the uh, from a canal system? Well, I, I think real quick on the advantage system. I mean, a bar, think of a barge like a modern container today. I mean, it really is. You know, our container system that drives up and down the highways on ships. Barges were that. That were the, they were the containers of their day. You know, you can pack them, stuff them, and move them around. They were they they, they were really easy to use. I, I think the drawback in barges was a couple of things. Number one. Uh, especially moving them, you know, if you if you use them in rivers, for example, and and, and feeding the river systems, you got to deal with current. So sometimes sometimes canal systems were more designed one way than two way, and that was always an issue. You know, one of the things about a canal, if you can make it a true canal, is there's no current in it, so you can be able to move, you know, you know, north, south, east, west, whatever direction that canal goes, you should be able to move in it. Uh, you need to invest in it. That was the big again. It was it was an upfront cost. It was a lot of money to develop. Uh, these canals. So, you know, one of the things that like in, in the United States, in the Erie Canal, the U.S. government refused to fund it. Mm. And, and, you know, they couldn't get the money for that. And so the governor of New York wound up having to run it himself. He basically said, all right, I'll, I'll do it myself and, and I will, I'll fund it. And you don't see a return on that for a long time. But people who invested in the, in the Erie company made money in the end because, mm. you know, it was the back end of it that produced that amount of money. Barges, you need to build barges. You need to build a lot of them. And, and, you know, to make it work, you need to have that cargo kind of moving all the time. And you need to be paired up with industry. That's always the thing. You know, if you're bringing that coal down from the Midlands, there needs to be factories down below that, that are, are going to do it. And you're very dependent, of course, on the marketplace. If you have downturns, which, you know, in the Industrial Revolution, mm. it was cyclical. You know, every 20 years was boom and bust, boom and bust. And so canals would fall out of favor. The traffic would, would go down. They would, they would silt up. They, they wouldn't be maintained properly. And then you have to go back and invest in it. Uh, it takes money. You got to keep a canal operating. You know, one of the things we saw after Evergreen, for example, is uh, Egypt has bought more dredgers, more tugs. They got to, you know, you have to invest yeah, in it. Yeah. And so in, in many ways, it, it's a hole you throw money into, literally. So how, like... Like how important then do you think, Sal, was um, Robert Fulton's success with the steamboat, the, the Clermont, um, you know, showing that, you know, that, that you, could, you could run a steamboat, um, you know, that, that, that where the technology was there to, to be able to start to steam power some of these um, boats that, you know, obviously then made it more quicker, more efficient, and, and also started to deal with that, that tidal or current issue that, that some of the canals have. Oh, I, I think I think it goes hand in hand. I, th I think it's essential. If, if you look at the history of the United States, uh, you have a series of, of 13 colonies that become states. They're all centered on the East Coast of the United States. And, and, and basically, they're all on port cities with with rivers going inland. But then you hit the Appalachian Mountains, you hit that mountain range and you stop. And, 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 and that's it. Even when we expand into the area between the Rockies and the, and the Appalachian Mountains, our, our central part of the United States, you have the Mississippi River and its tributaries, but it was one way. It was, you know, I can load my grain mm -hmm. onto a flatboat, drag it down, you know, let it float down the river, and it's going to show up in New Orleans if I just keep pushing it off the bank. But you really couldn't get up. What the steamboat, in conjunction with the canals, did was turn the waterways into highways, into motorways that you can go both ways. So, for example, when, when Fulton comes up with the, the North River Ferry, the Claremont, he can get from New York City to Albany, which – you know, I, I grew up in New York City and I know Albany and I have no desire to go to Albany. It's just it, it's just a town on the river. Uh, it, it's there. It doesn't really do you any good. But when DeWitt Clinton, who's the governor of New York, gets basically shot down to build the Erie Canal by the federal government and he, and he says, that's it. I'll do it myself. 
And he decides to create this canal that goes from Buffalo, New York, which is on Lake Erie, to Albany. Now, all of a sudden, what makes New York different than Philadelphia, than Boston, than Baltimore, and all the other cities up and down the coast is now it has access to the interior. Now, all of a sudden, you can take your steamboat up to Albany and you can basically deliver finished goods, put them on a barge through the Suez, I mean, through the, Suez, through the Erie Canal <laughs> to, to Buffalo, and you're on the Great Lakes. And then canals from the Great Lakes in Cleveland and Detroit and, and all along Lake Erie connect you to the Ohio River, to the Illinois River. And, and basically, you have the interstate canal system that's up for the United States. You, you literally turn the eastern half of the United States into an island because you can get in a boat in New York and sail completely around it all the way down to New Orleans. And, and, and that's, that's the connection between bridges, uh, excuse me, canals and steamboats. Uh, U.S. steamboats take amazing developments because there's, there's everything you need for a steamboat. Fresh water is abundant. You got water in the canals and the rivers, you can use it. And then you get fuel sources, you get trees everywhere. Uh, the reason that Great Britain became such a big steam power on the oceans is because they had coal and they had those strategic bases around the world. But yeah, once you, once you start linking the technologies together, you're good to go. The problem that canals always had, and this is the issue that, that all of them have, is they're more designed for flat level than mountains. Mountains give them problems because of the lock systems. Mm. And that's why in the 1840s and 1850s, you start seeing the development of railroads over canals. The, the canal mania kind of goes away. So the Erie Canal's got um, uh, a really interesting backstory to it, hasn't it? That um, my understanding is that it was Jesse Hawley who really pushed for um, uh, the Erie Canal. Um, and it, that's where it was picked up by uh, Jewett Clinton to, who actually came across it on, on, from the, from the writings of Jesse Hawley. Is, is that correct? No, it is. It, there was a lot of talk about it. Again, one of the things about the Erie Canal, it's really interesting is it's actually a series of short little canals bridge because there are a series of lakes up in upstate New York that kind of run North and South. And so one of the ideas was to kind of bridge these these canals together, and 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 to stick it together. Uh, Clinton is the governor. He's he's all he's looking at the political aspect of it and the economic aspect. He wants his state to do it. He's not designing a canal by any means. Yeah. <laughs> he's just he's the one who gets kind of a, a so he's like a good politician. He's going to take credit for it and 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 be there for the you know the bridging of the oceans uh, together. But yeah, there's a lot of development in that, and and we saw a lot of canals being built at that time. Uh, but they tended to be small. The thing that made the uh, Erie Canal so so different was its scale for number one for New York being so large. It, it was it was just something that hadn't been seen. It was the really it was the most expensive infrastructure program in the history of the United States up to that point. So it was it was a massive investment involved to it. And the other aspect of it was it just propelled New York above the other cities because you know at the time there was no clear reason New York would ever become the major city on the East Coast. Philadelphia had a much better bid for it because it was right there in the farmlands, uh, the Delaware River Valley. Baltimore had it with the Chesapeake Bay area. There was really nothing that did it. But all of a sudden now, the, the, the price of commodities just dropped. I mean, to haul a ton of cargo now we, we dropped exponentially. 
And more importantly, you had access into the interior. And, and that was the connection. And, and again, if you had invested in the Erie Canal, if you bought the stock in the company, you made a fortune because all of a sudden the, the, the amount of commerce that was going through, and, and it wasn't huge. I mean, these barges were very small on the Erie Canal. It's not a massive canal. So we're not talking about large vessels, but it's flat. You can hook up you know, to mules and, 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 and tow yourself through the canal. And that's also, you also see people move through. It, it, it's not just cargo, it's people start moving. It, it's that ability to exploit, to move into the area. And it becomes that you know highway that that allows uh, really the West to develop for the United States the interior. What you're saying there just can't be underestimated. It it it, it is so crucial to what we're talking about, though, Sal, isn't it? That 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 it propelled New York into the financial hub that it is. That it even still holds that uh, position today. That 15 years after opening the canal. Um, it was the busiest port in America, and it moved more tonnage than Boston, Baltimore, and New Orleans combined. And that in itself is a staggering fact. And its ability for that canal system to establish New York as the powerhouse that it still maintains today is a, a very impressive feat. No, and, and you can see it. I mean, if you look around the Great Lakes region to this day, you can see the impact of that by immigrants who were coming in that period, you know, when the canal was big in the 1830s to roughly the 1860s in particularly, you know, you had a lot, lot Northern Europeans coming in. And if you look around the Great Lakes region, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, and even in, in the Canadian provinces, you see those German Northern European a- ancestors right there kind of all kind of meshed into that area. And, and again, it, it's that connectivity that canals give you that all of a sudden elevate you up you know it's it's manchester as a port versus liverpool you know liverpool was always the big port but now you can bypass liverpool go right into manchester and now all of a sudden you can develop and that's what you see with with new york right there you can still get your cargo down to new orleans but the problem with being in new orleans is you're in the gulf of mexico you still have you know florida and and, and cuba that's owned by the spanish at the time but new york now that's that's right there on the gulf stream it's right there on the currents you can literally bring your goods into new york boot outside new york harbor and you're heading toward ireland and europe and and you're off you're off for the races Mm-hmm. And, 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 and again, it, it, it's how you exploit those canals and use them to the advantage. It's one of the reasons why that, you know, Egypt decided to nationalize the canal in, in, in the 1950s, because they realized that is their potential moneymaker. That's, mm-hmm. that's what's going to make them. Same thing with Panama taking back the canal in 1999 from the United States. These generate them. It gives them strategic things. When the Germans built the Kiel Canal, for example, it made them much more independent of having to go through the Skattegat and Kattegat, which is a terrible passage to go through. Uh, And it also gave them naval power because they can swing their fleet from safety of the Baltic out into the North Sea, threaten the British during World War I, for example. That concept of, um, you know, the, the, the movement into the interior, again, is also really important isn't it because like unlike australia we australia our best and most fertile grounds are around the edge it's all coastal the further you move inland in australia the pretty much the more arid you get and worse the um uh the 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 farmland whereas that's not the case in america the further you go inland the better the land in a lot of ways isn't it no if you ever look at a kind of a satellite image of of the united states uh, the new, you know, New Orleans is is the cork in the bottle of this massive basin 
that goes all the way to the Rockies up actually into Canada, you know, and it's, it's this huge basin that all funnels down into that, mm. you know, New Orleans area. But the problem was, I mean, you had the potential really to create separate countries, you know, the Eastern half of the United States was really not connected to the middle part of the United States. And what brings those two areas together are canals. It, it is that canal system that brings it together. There's an attempt with the Chesapeake and Ohio Canal to get over the mountains, but it was really difficult. But the Erie Canal, that little pass through the mountains right there in the Adirondacks, gave them that advantage. And all of a sudden now you connect it. One of the things that actually, I would argue that the canals kind of promote the Civil War, because one of the things that happens in the Southern part of the United States is it's not as connected to the West as the North is, for example, the Northeastern part of the United States from, from Boston to Philadelphia is very connected to the West because of that Erie Canal passage. It really kind of makes a, a block. And it's one of the reasons the South feels so isolated in the 1850s and 1860s, because it's not as connected. The railways had not kicked off yet. This is the, you know, that'd be the big yeah. competition is yep. railways, but even railways can't compare to canals. They can't move the tonnage. Mm -hmm that the canals can move because it's, it's so much easier to move on ocean boats, inland waters than it is on railways. And, and it really does have an influence on it. And, and the same thing in Europe, when you start looking at the, the creation of the canals, the bridging of rivers, you know, connecting rivers together, using those, those abilities to connect the Elbe, the Rhine, the Danube, the Rhone, you know, all of a sudden you can start bridging canals together and you can do it. You, you, in many ways, countries are created on these river systems. I've always made this argument. I'm a maritime historian, and I make the argument that we shouldn't teach history based on continents. You know, we shouldn't teach Australian history and African history and American history. We should be teaching, you know, Atlantic world, Indian Ocean world, Mediterranean yeah. world, nor yeah. Northern Europe world, because that's what the connectivity is. That's where you see that connection. You know, you look at the river systems in Asia, for example, East Asia, particularly. That's the connection system, and and that's what allows China with the Grand Canal to stay unified. As a nation, they can bridge those canals together, those waterway systems together, because that's the focus of that nation, that eastern half, that arable area. I read somewhere too, um, Sal, um, when I was doing a little bit of research, that I can't quite remember the figures off the top of my head, but um, there was massive amounts of um, people in New York State that that basically all of the population or very nearly all the population lives within 25 kilometers of um uh of the erie canal itself yeah i mean if you look at where the cities pop up from albany to buffalo i mean it's utica it's rochester it's syracuse you know that's where you see them they they, they tend to do that and, and if you think about it that makes sense. You know, where, where, where are your stores and where's your towns, but you know, it tends to be junctions, you know, it tends to be, you know, where major highways or roads come together or river systems come together. And what canals do is, is they create that geography. They, they all of a sudden create it, you know, there's no reason for Syracuse to be where Syracuse is in upstate New York till all of a sudden you have a canal cutting right through it. And, you know, it's a good, you know, third of the way down the canal, for example. So it's a good spot to, to be at. Same thing with Rochester. All of a sudden, it, it is right there. And it, it creates that geopolitical aspect. Again, you know, you know, Suez Canal, there's no reason for, you know, for, for, for Port Suez and Port Said to be where they're at. But now, all of a sudden, you create this, this geopolitical spot. You know, same thing with Cologne and Balboa down in, in the Panama Canal. Now, all of a sudden, you create this area that, that's really important. And we see that with, with 
bridging rivers and, and connecting rivers. And, and now all of a sudden that's the key junction spot you're at. And, you know, where I'm at in North Carolina, you know, we have one river that kind of feeds out of us. It's called the Cape Fear River, but we saw the building of a lot of canals and river systems to feed into that connect into that main river so that you can get down to the port of Wilmington and you could be in central North Carolina growing your tobacco or your cotton, put it in a barge, kick it down the river, you know, maybe go through a canal to get to the main river and then you can get to Wilmington and you can get to the world. I, I mean, I could sell everything from the port of Wilmington because the entire world's ocean systems are connected together. And this is that it is such a, this is the whole point of our podcast, uh, Sal, is that, you know, we want people to really stop and think about, you know, what the drivers of, um, you know, real estate or property actually are. And, you know, we always define our five drivers as, um, you know, infrastructure, technology, population, government, and credit. And, and the infrastructure of the canals just changes the natural um, locational advantage that particular spots have. Um, you know, by pushing that canal through, it, it, it forces commerce. Um, as you said, that, of course, means that there are going to be particular cities that are always going to be popping up along the river to facilitate the trade and ensure that, um, especially at those cross routes um, where, 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 where other um, uh, junctions occur, there's going to be more trading that occurs. And, and, and that is, you know, what we're really trying to get um, yeah, listeners to, to really understand. No, if you look at the history of the United States, I'll give you the city that, that's the more, probably the best example of that, that's Chicago. Mm. Now, usually when you study histories of Chicago, they'll talk about the railways. It's the railways that make Chicago where it is. It's not. It's the canal system first. The canal mm. system is what creates the city of Chicago. I mean, there's no reason for Chicago to be where it is. It's the very bottom end of Lake Michigan. There, there's absolutely no reason for it to be there. It's there because it's the bottom of Lake Michigan. And, and one of the things that Chicago was able to do initially was for cargo to be landed or brought there across overland portage and, and move cargo that way. But eventually what they do is they build a canal system. They, they hook into the Illinois River, which puts them into the Mississippi, which puts them into the Ohio, which puts them into the entire inland water distribution system. And now they're in on Lake Michigan. And now you can go from Michigan to Lake Huron, to Erie, to Buffalo, to New York, out into the open ocean. And that that is that creation when you start seeing it develop in the 1830s there's nothing there there's nothing in chicago i mean it's, it, is, it is an outpost and then it just magnifies 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 and it's a quantum growth all of a sudden and and chicago becomes the the, the massive city it is it's fueled by the canals it, it it's it's expanded by the railroads uh and then it's really the gateway to the west st louis again same thing how do you get to st louis on the missouri river that interior in, into the interior of the United States, it, it's that same way. It becomes that that gateway. I would always argue the gateway of the West changes. It's, it, the old St. Louis calls itself the gateway of the West. It changes because where it's it's how you can get to it from the different areas, and and now all of a sudden those those become them. And the amazing thing about all that too, Sal, is that you know as we said, you know you've got all that um, um, you know corn and wheat and 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 other lucrative crops flowing out towards the coast. And at the same time, you've got the ability of the steamships to um, uh, to take goods 
back inland to serve as the farmers to ensure that it enables um, the productivity of, of towns to be able to grow and flourish and 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 the townspeople and 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 the farmers to be able to to buy um, you know essentially goods and uh, that they would have previously you know made themselves whether it's clothing textiles or uh, you know furniture etc it, it, it's a it's a two-way thing that um, that that creates the increase in commerce oh it does and, and you know the barges on the canals are, are great because again, they can, they'll make a low value commodity of economical, you know, you, you can, you know, I'm in North Carolina, tobacco is always in, is the crop we grow here, uh, tobacco and cotton, because it's a high value crop. It's, you, you know, you get more money per acreage for those crops. It doesn't, it's not affordable to grow corn here. It just isn't, it just, we just don't because we don't have the acreage to do it, but you can do it out in the Midwest where you have hundreds and thousands of acres, but to do that, you got to move volume and to move volume, you need to be able to get that volume off the farms in Nebraska and Kansas and out there. To, to the marketplace. And barges allow you to do that because it's it's a volume product. It, you can pack a lot of cargo inside a barge, move it through a canal system into a river system and back down. And like you said, now you create money. You know, all of a sudden now that farmer's making money. He, he's, not, he's not a subsistence farmer. He's not growing just for himself. He's growing to feed not just local towns and communities, but potentially the world. I, I mean, you know, that grain that, that gets down to New Orleans could be heading to Europe. It could be heading to Africa. It could be heading to the Caribbean. Who knows? And now, but now they have disposable cash. What am I going to do with my disposable cash? Well, you know, I'm going to use that the modern version of the iPad, the Sears robot catalog, uh, catalog that I have and <laughs> yep. swipe page to page and, you know, send a little check and, and, and send it in. And, and, you know, yeah. coming up that barge is going to be, you know, my new, new products. And, you know, we think, we tend to think we're new at this and we're not, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, I always joke, it's, it's, these guys have this figured out. It's just, the only thing we're better at is time. We do it faster. We, we do can, it fast. We do it fast. We could do it faster, but they were doing the same exact thing and the volume has changed a lot, but, but what you're talking about with canals are exactly that it, 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 it connects, it creates that connectivity which I think is the big thing. And, and it's not just individuals, but it's, it's tonnage, which changes everything. It also coincided with the, um, uh, the market revolution, which really in a lot of ways, I think, um, you know, America was right at the junction with that, that um, again, my understanding is, um, you know, the idea is that you went from um, producing things at home to essentially producing things in a factory um, and obviously, you know, with the advent of the Industrial Revolution, um, with steam and also uh, the canals being able to move products um, means that there was a lot more commerce that occurred. But there was quite a, quite a number of people who didn't want to be involved in that. They didn't want to, um, you know, be paid wages as such. They, they wanted to be like the, um, you know, the, a, a tradesperson who gets paid for what they produce. Um, that the 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 fact that there was the canals and there was produce and and there was um uh commerce flowing inlands it actually created a lot more opportunity for people to to continually move west in search of lands to farm and live in a style that they wanted to live rather than in um you know part of that industrialized um revolution that was going on no i i think i think you're right i mean it's all I, you know and, and it's kind of a chicken and egg argument what what comes first and I think it all feeds on to everything. You know, that agricultural mm -hmm. revolution gets into your industrial revolution, gets into your market revolution. And now all of a sudden people can start, you know, I was using the argument, you know, clothes, you know, people made their own clothes for a long time, but it, it was a long, laborious process. It takes a lot of time. 
you know, when you do your laundry, you don't sit there and watch the washing machine, you go do something else. You know, one of the things that technology allows you to do is prioritize. I could do other things while things are being done. You know, my meals can come faster because I can cook faster today than ever before. And, and again, people decide they want more. And, and as you create that, that need, that, 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 that demand, we see shipping basically, you know, meet that demand. You know, we're hauling over 11 billion tons of cargo in the world's oceans annually right now. And that's the world, 11 and a half billion. You know, go back to the end of World War II, 1950, roughly, you're moving half a billion tons. And, you know, that's that's not new. We've seen this exponentially increase year after year. And I would argue the industrial revolution, the market revolution really fuels that concept. You know, people want nice things. You know, we, we've, you know, I've done archeological digs in, 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 in homes in the middle of nowhere you know, from, from the early 1800s and, you know, the, the ramshackle houses, but they'll have nice little things in it that, that make themselves feel different. It's, you know, when you walk into their house, they're different. There's something about them that's different. They want that demand. And, and that means it's two-way, like you said, you have to be able to not just get the cargo. And that was one of the big issues prior to the creation of the canals is you had to be close to the rivers and then everything was being pushed down river and really nothing was coming back up. And the steam power along with the canal system changes all that because now you can move goods. You know, you can take your steamboat, bring it up the Ohio River to a, a canal system now that goes into the interior somewhere that didn't exist before. And now you can move those goods. And, and, and again, it, it also allows people to move a lot easier. Again, how many people were, were born and died within 50 miles of where they were, you know, raised? Yeah. But now there's that opportunity, that one-time opportunity to pick everything up and move. And, and, and relocate, you know, it's, 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 it's going from Europe to Australia, it's going from New York to, you know, Kansas, you know, it's, it's that big, huge move, something we take for granted today, that's so easy for us to move was very difficult, but it became easier over time. There's also the idea too, um, Sal, that, that the Erie Canal helped form a whole new culture that revolved around canal life as well, didn't it? Oh, it, it, it did. Because again, you know, your economy was derived from it. You know, it's, it's, and, and I would argue it, whether it's canals, railways, highways, you know, you see those kind of boom bust cycles where towns pop up and, you know, they're, they're, they're focused on that. In the United States, we have, we have towns that are based on military bases. And when the military base closed, the town closes. And the canals were very much like that. You know, you would have everything you need on that canal system. You know, if you're on the Erie Canal, you're in one of those little towns, you know, you have, you have, you have, people who can repair the barges. You have people who can tend for the, for the mules and horses that are towing the barges. You had uh, places to stay overnight. You had, you know, provide services back and forth and you can be selling goods. You know, we tend to think too, that, you know, I, I'm going to sell my goods, you know, I'm going to grow my crops in Michigan and I'm going to sell them in New York. That's not what you did. You, you sold them to middlemen in between. They, they passed between people from place to place. Uh, I didn't have the ability to communicate to New York for my farm. I had to sell it to a merchant who in turn would sell it. And so you had the, the, the middlemen who are moving goods from point to point. And, and one of the things it does is it does raise the price a little bit, but at least the goods are moving. The, the goods are moving much more efficiently. Today, we love the idea that we can go right to a distributor, buy something, and it's delivered to my house. I don't have to go to the middleman anymore. But then they did. And those middlemen were really essential because they were moving product and not just moving product, but they knew what the market demanded. And so they can tell, you know, I don't need this. You're growing something we don't need, but we need this. You need to change what's in demand. And so they became very important 
for conveying, you know, what's the market cycle going to be, you know, what's the futures market going to look like, you know, what do we need? You know, this is this is what what we need. Hey, people in the interior are demanding this, we need kerosene lamps. So we need kerosene, let's get on that. Let's get whale oil. You know, this is what we need. And, and, and so those 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 middle men merchants that that existed, were extremely important. And so these towns had to become self sufficient, they had to become, you know, almost like the little city states of old, you know, little tiny outposts that can move goods. You needed someone to transport between them and communicate between them. So you mentioned before um, that, and I, I found this absolutely staggering that that the federal government um, concluded that the Lake Erie project was uh, actually too ambitious. Um, so instead, the state of New York decided they'd take it on, which in itself seems um uh, an an amazing uh, decision to come to but um how how do they fund how how do they fund these uh, uh canals systems that that popped up in this canal mania well it it, it was it that story is always a funny story because I joke with my students all the time. It's like, you know, if you want dysfunction in the U S government, you don't have to look at today. I, let me give you a perfect example. And here's, you know, here, here's one with States fighting between the federal government, you know, and that, that was a classic. My favorite argument about that too, is the federal government sat there and said, well, the canal's entirely in the state of New York. So it's not a national project. It's a, it's a local project. You know, they, they, they fail to see the, the yeah, national the implications. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. You know, because we, we joke about in the United States because Hawaii, you know, Hawaii is part of the interstate highway system, but I've been to Hawaii and you can't drive to another state from Hawaii. You know, it's not really, <laughs> you're not really in an interstate, but yet they still have interstates there. But, but, but that was not the argument in 1817 when they're doing this. And, and so, as you said, you know, all of a sudden, you know, here, here you have, you know, DeWitt Clinton, who's grabbing this from Jess Hawley. And, and, and the concept was, how are you going to do it? And, and they basically ran it as, as a stock market company. You know, we're going to buy stock, you're going to invest in it. You're going to buy, you know, investments in it. And that's how a lot of them did that because it was a huge infrastructure upfront cost. You know, it's, it's a project that's going to take years to build. There's going to be no return on this for a long time, you know, and it, it's very much like the shipping industry is mm. typically, you know, before you get anything, you got to build the ship. Well, the ship takes time, you know, the canal is the same thing. You're, you're not going to get anything from it for a long time. And even if you build sections of the canal, you're really not going to get too much of it. That what makes the Erie Canal valuable is the connectivity between Buffalo and Albany. It doesn't do you any good to connect to Albany to Rochester. Yeah. You got to get the yeah. whole way across. And so Clinton really had to sell that. He he had to sell that. And he did it as part of a really a, a national comp competition. You know, he sat there and said if we don't do this you know, other towns will pass us, surpass us. Because again, there was a big fight at the time between Philadelphia, New York, Boston. There's still a big fight between us. We still don't, I'm from New York originally. So we're still, New York's much better than those other places. But it, it's, it's, uh, it's this huge competition. And, and Clinton was a master really selling this idea too, that, that we're going to be left behind. We're going to be second class. We're going to be, you know, we're going to fall behind because there's, you know, New York's got a harbor. Boston's got a harbor. Philadelphia's got a harbor. We, we need to be different. And it, it it takes visionary leadership to do it in some ways, you know, and, and, and I'd argue that lots of times, you know, what you're seeing with the canal mania and the building canals is akin to, you know, something like SpaceX today and, 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 and Galactic, you know, and, and, and these billionaires who are racing to commercialize space. I don't see it, you know, one, a couple of rich guys flying around in space, what's that going to do? But, you know, it's that same thing with the canals. It's like, Hey, this is what we can do. This is where 
our potential is going to be because we're going to be able to generate money from that. And, you know, what's interesting too, is it's not so much the tolls that that was the thing that, that, that Clinton was really different about. It's, it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to generate money by people paying tolls through it, but the, the money that's going to be made is in the land ownership. It's a development. It, it, it's, if you're being able to buy the goods coming in, you know, if you set up, you know, now your infrastructure to buy crops from, from the Midwest, you're going to be in a great position. You know, you're going to be able to set up that interconnectivity. One of the things we see set up at literally the same time is something called the black ball line, which is one of the very first regular scheduled sailing services from the United States to Europe. It's no longer a ship waiting to fill up with cargo. It's a ship that's saying, we're going to sail once a week. We're going to sail once a week, whether we're loaded or not, we're going to sail. And the only way that works is if you've got cargo, your shore is going to be flowing in. And they're sure because the, the great the Erie Canal is going to produce that cargo for them. And there's going to be a demand for cargo coming from Europe to New York to go into the interior of the United States. You just hit something um, uh, on a moment ago that I was just about to go there, Sal, and that's with regards to the land acquisitions for the canals because that must have been – a whole lot of skullduggery that went on there that, um, um, you know, obviously the purchase of the land to, to, to have it come through my property um, and no doubt the diversions of, you know, I'm sure the canal doesn't run in the most direct route to make sure that it flows through, uh, you know, sales backyard, et cetera. I mean, can you tell us, you know, a little bit about what went on um, with the acquisition of land and, and the speculation that occurred? Well, as you can imagine, I mean, obviously, once the idea gets out there, speculators are going to be out there in, 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 in huge proportions, obviously. And one of the things that we've seen uh, in the United States is this idea of, you know, land can be taken over by the state for, for the better use of, of, of the state. In this case, one of the things we're seeing is just really just purchasing of land. So right off the bat, once, once the, the idea of the canal is out there, people start buying huge blocks of land. And, and they're, you know, again, before the news gets out, before it can be done, you see this, this scramble to, to purchase land. And then you also see a lot of of work with the engineers who are going out to scout where to put this canal, how, you know, what's the best place to put this. And it's clear that there's a lot of money passing hands. The, the canal does not move in a straight line. It, it does kind of sneak around. There are different bends of the canals. Like, mm, I don't know why, it, well, why does it turn here? You know, then you realize like, oh, okay, someone bought this piece of land and now all of a sudden yeah. you can do it. And, and, but for a lot of people, again, you know, one of the things was people, had had so you remember it's it, it's it's post war of eighteen twelve U S population is really small at this time, uh, we'd open up the West but not a lot of movement and where you saw that movement into the West at the time was really lower down on the Mississippi River area, you really hadn't seen the huge massive colonization and movement of people into what is modern day northern Ohio Indiana. Michigan. And, and I will tell you, one of the places where you saw land speculation, New York was kind of hard because a lot of that land was already sold. And so it was, it was already pretty well divided up. But where you saw it in a lot of places was in that Western areas right there. They knew once that canal opened up, you know, places like Toledo and those port areas right there, that's going to be where the money's going to be because that's going to be the interior. That's going to be the other access points that you can grab. And so, yeah, you're right. You, you saw the massive land speculation take place there i don't have a good uh, story unfortunately to tell you about it because <laughs> there were so many of them there i i, I should pull one up for you but uh there were great kind of uh jockeying moves at the time buffalo is is probably the best case because buffalo is going to be the terminus 
And so there was big fighting in Buffalo at the time to to really develop that. And the political machines in a lot of these, you you gotta remember too, it's post-War of 1812, the Federalists are falling out of power, which was the previous political party that was there. This new party is coming in, what's called the Democratic Republicans, eventually becomes a Democratic Party. Uh, You know, it's a weird time in American history because uh, we, we eventually get to a one-party state. You know, the 1820 election is the only time there's a single candidate running for president. Uh, and, and, and so one of the things you start seeing is factions within these parties begin to form. So the political machines are coming apart and a lot of factions are being created over the canal. Some people don't want the canal. Some people are anti, they don't want this. They don't want this expansion because they don't see it being a positive at all for them because it's going to disrupt them. They're in a good position. They don't see any benefit from that or worse. They're not anywhere near the canal and they're going to be left behind because, you know, now that's where all the trade's going to go and it's going to bypass me. So there, there was a lot of infighting. Uh, uh, Clinton, the governor, you know, he's, he's not very popular at times. He, he faces a lot of backlash from this and he's, he's, He's not able to sell all the stock right away, so he's spending New York money on this. He's he's taking money from the state treasury to spend on this. He's putting a debt on the state, and 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 you know one of the big things that brought the United States together as 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 a country was Alexander Hamilton. I won't go into singing right now, but Hamilton basically sold the, the United States on we'll take your debt from the Revolutionary War. Well, now there's debt from hmm. Erie Canal. Yeah. And Clinton keeps telling them, it's like, no, 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 we're, we're going to make money. I guarantee you, this is going to be a benefit down the road. And, and, you know, politicians have said that before and man, this doesn't work out the way you thought it's going to work out. So, I, I mean, th- th- there's so much infighting about it, but I, I think it really is the visionary status that they, they really saw something that was going to propel them ahead. And uh, it, it was that success. Is Clinton of the Bill Clinton bloodline? No, I, I, there was a very interesting uh, uh, look at that, and uh, he's not. So uh, he, he is not of that. Uh, Clinton was, uh, that was a very popular uh, uh, family at the time uh, going around. There was actually a, a vice president, uh, Clinton, uh, at the time. Uh, at the, and, and in this case, uh, uh, George Clinton is, is basically uh, a pretty powerful governor, and actually, and and he was actually trying to run for president. He wanted to get elevated up there. He was trying to be the first president, Clinton. Uh, and 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 you know, not all Clintons are successful in their presidency bids, as we've seen. Uh, and and but he becomes uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact that again, the Erie Canal does not produce until a little bit later. Yeah. And so, but but by the time he comes up, he's he's kind of out of favor at that point. And he also has to deal with the fact that there's a more popular guy who's emerging by the time he's thinking about running, and that's Andrew Jackson. So is it the new technology of the railways that uh, really brought the demise of the uh, the canals? Well, you know, I, I'm going to argue a little bit about that because I, I think that there's that textbook answer, you know, once once the, the, the railways come up, the canals kind of fall off. And I'd make the argument the canals really don't fall off. They, they, they really don't. They, they, they stay there. But the railways are more, I would argue, in, in the national view than anything else, because they can they can go more places at times. They, they can bridge, you know, I, I would argue that the, it's the canals that bridge the eastern part of the United States to the center part of the United States. It's the railways that bridge the east and west to the, uh, I mean, the east and center to the west. Yeah. You know, you can't build a canal over the Rockies. You're just not yeah. going to do it. It's just, it, 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 it's an impossibility to do that. 
And, and people see railways, you know, one of the things that, that happened with railways initially is they're very small and, and they connect small towns and communities. And it's it's quicker. You can lay a railway a lot quicker than you can build a canal. It, yeah. it, you can just physically do it a lot easier. And, you know, if you travel through many towns and communities, there are, you know, there, there's Depot Street, there's the railway center, you know, there's, 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 you know, in North Carolina, every town has got a little place that was connected by a railway in some way. And so I think it's more utility. You know, mm-hmm. you can you, you can connect a lot of small towns together. We tend to focus in history on the big transcontinental railways, you know, the, the, the U.S., the Canadian, yeah, the Trans-Siberian, yeah. yep. Australia. But in truth, railways were much more important locally. You know, it connects more smaller towns together. But I would, I would argue that a lot of those trains were still feeding into the river canal systems. You know, they, 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 you're not long hauling a lot of cargo because think about trains in the mid 19th century. They're not big. You know, they don't have the capability to haul the tonnage that even a barge can handle in some ways. And, you know, that, that is very apparent during the Civil War. If you look at logistics during the American Civil War, it's the waterways that move the logistics for the armies much more than the railways. When railways do it, they can do it, but it's not the easiest thing in the world. I think railways are, are again, more attentive because they're great at moving people. You know, yeah, people are yeah. great. You can put them on and off a train and, and, and it, you know, it's, it's that easy, you know, people are easy to move. Cargo is hard to move. And, and, and so I, th- I think that has it, but it does, it does diminish the importance of, or I would argue the visibility of canals. It, it, you know, you don't need these, these massive canals. I mean, this Erie Canal is still running strong into the, into the 18, you know, late 19th century. It's still moving cargo. A lot. And but what you see start happening is is development. It's easier because of steamboats now to just go down to New Orleans, vice the smaller Erie Canal and load on larger ocean going ships and go out of there. Then you see it. But I, I think they're very complementary, I would argue. I, I don't think they're they're they're, they're uh, uh, competing as much against each other, but they're creating a a system that allows further development. I mean, look at look at the canal system still to this day in Europe and, and how mm-hmm. how important it is. I mean, the, the waterway system in China is still vitally important to this day. And we were just started off the show talking about a canal and its importance to world trade. Well, it's going to take it a step further, not only just the Panama and sewers, but um, uh, in Nicaragua, I believe that um, China's um, looking at uh, digging one there at the moment. Yeah, you know, canal mania is not gone because a lot of people are talking. I mean, I mean, the Chinese are talking about a, a canal across Nicaragua. They're talking about one across the Krau Peninsula, Thailand, uh, and yeah, and yep. for a, a variety of reasons. You know, the Nicaraguan canal is an interesting one because it wouldn't require locks to get across it. And and one of the other big issues is when. The Panama Canal was initially built way back and, and opened in 1914. It had a series of two way, uh, two lanes, and those lanes were controlled by six locks on each lane, and it really set the standard for how big a ship can be. You couldn't you couldn't be bigger than the size and width yeah, and depth yeah, of the locks. Lock. Yep. Right, and so you created what's called Panama Max. You know, it's the maximum size of a vessel. Well, in 2016 they opened a new lane, but that lane was designed in 2005. And they looked at ships in 2005 and said, this is the size of the lane we need. Well, because Panama had a hard time funding it, there was engineering issues, took them over a decade to build it. By the time it opens in 2016, it's too small for a lot of ships. The Ever Given, for example, can't go through the Panama Canal. It's too small. But what China would love to do is have a canal that's, that's doesn't, not restrained by locks, like the Suez, 
and you can just sail through it and you can use these ultra large container ships, tankers, whatever you want. And you, you're not going to be restricted by it. The, the canal through Thailand is interesting to them because they don't have the greatest relationship with Singapore. And they're always concerned that Singapore will plug their trade. Uh, China's always looking to make sure there's alternative routes for their trade. They're, they're always, you know, they, they don't want to be strangled off like they were in the 1930s by Japan. And they don't want to go the way Japan went in World War II, cut off and, 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 and strangled. Right. And so they're always looking at those alternatives. And so, you know, canals aren't gone. It's just, you know, the question is like for a Nicaraguan canal, is there money to do it? Would they take enough trade to benefit from that? Now, China could just sit there and say, we're just going to throw money at it like they do and, and go ahead and build it. And that would start stealing money from uh, uh, the Panama Canal. And so there's a lot of a lot of tension there right now between them. What about tourism? I mean, tourism um, you know, seems to play a reasonable role now on a number of canals. Um, you know, there's certainly through Europe, uh, the canal system uh, is quite a, you know, tourist attraction, obviously, you know, through uh, America as well, the old paddle steamers, et cetera. Um, you know, how do you see that? Oh, I, I think the idea of, of riverboat cruises and canals and everything, it, it really opens up people's uh, ideas to it. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, it's, it's funny. I, I sailed for a long time and I have a lot of friends who, who are in the industry and they have a very dark view of cruise ships. They don't like them. Uh, you know, they think it's just, you know, uh, they, they have a derisive <laughs> term cattle boats, you know, uh, that, that people go on, but I, I think it, it exposes people to the influence of the waterways. And, and one of the things in our society right now, and, and again, go back to Evergiven, what you talked about, I think one of the most interesting things about the Evergiven is it opened people's eyes to how connected we are by the sea and, and, yeah. and, and ocean transportation and inland waterway transportation. And I, I firmly believe it's a great way to do it. I, I think, you know, people, you know, going through a canal system, going through a river system, seeing that happen, you, you get firsthand that experience. You see those small little towns and communities that pop up along the shores right there and, 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 and are so, so good. One of the things that we've done, understand over time, is, is because we've developed this idea of containerization, these big, huge 20, 40-foot containers, is back in the day, ships would pull up to small piers and offload their goods and, and you know, the market would be able to get goods right there. That doesn't happen today. Today, you know, if I'm going to send goods to you in Australia, it's going to go to the big terminal mm. in Sydney. You know, it, 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 and then from Sydney, it'll go to the smaller ports, but not small ports. You know, you still need that infrastructure to handle these big containers, you know, and you can't get on that terminal. I can't get on that terminal because it's not open to everybody. We don't see it. They tend to be off and, and out of the way. Uh, whereas during this period of time, you know, you can pull your boat right up. You know, if you look at the early steamboats in the United States, they're flat bottom. They got those big paddle wheels in the back and they got those big, huge ramps on the front. That's so they can nose up to the beach, put the ramps down, offload their goods. People can come on board. You can sell things on the steamboat, sell things in the marketplace, load goods on, pull back off and go to the next place. And, you know, we, we, we tend not to see that in, in, in where I live, you go up and down the highways, big tractor trailers with those containers are moving up and down and you go into big box stores to go buy your goods. The little shops don't really exist as much as they used to. It's coming back now, which is great, but that's, that's one of the things we did. And so when you get on those, those river cruises, I think it's great because you see those small towns, you see those small communities and how connected they were. And everybody begins to understand why those little towns and communities were, were, were essential, were hubs 
and they had a little bit of everything in them. You know, you had the little bit of, you know, the mom and pop stores we call them in the United States, but the local businesses that you can hit. So I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of those. I actually like them because I, I think they, they provide some, some material culture history to a populace that doesn't get to see it too often. It's a very tranquil way to travel as well, isn't it? It is, you know, it, it, it's, I would argue it's very efficient. You know, I always love the ferry system in, 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 in Europe. I, I, I think it's great. You know, you can, you know, go to sleep and you're in your place, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's easy to move and everything. Uh, it, it's not as fast, obviously, as, as what we like. Sometimes we like it, you know, overnight and, and to be there immediately, uh, you know, and, and I love people who complain about traveling because all they have to do is sit, you know, <laughs> but for some reason that's, that's too much for them. You know, just got to sit and just you know, relax. Plane will take you where you want to go, <laughs> sit and relax. Uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, waterway travel is great. I, I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's why you see the proliferation of these river cruises in many ways, because it's, it, it's such a unique way. You don't get seasick number one, because it's flat, <laughs> you know, it's great. It's, it's, it's that you get to go to, to so many different places. And, and, and again, it's, it's not, you know, one of the things we're doing with with cruising right now is all of a sudden you pull in with a mega cruise ship and six thousand people overrun a town. You know, in in the river cruise, it's a couple of hundred, mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's small. It's it, it's it's and and again, it gives you that idea of of how to move. You know, when you take a river cruise through the Kiel Canal, for example, and you go from the North Sea to the Baltic, and then you're around the coast there, you get to see areas you won't typically see, and and I think it exposes a lot of people to. Uh, New areas again. You know, you've been to New York City, you've been to big areas and everything, but smaller places that that's that's always great. I, I've I, I I do a guest lecture on some small cruise ships along like the New England coast and the in the Chesapeake Bay, and I love that because you go into small little towns that no one would ever go to, in, unless you had that access to to with a smaller vessel to get in there. Yeah, yeah, it's just so uh, you know. Again, it's just. What you're talking about, it's it, it, it's all about the land. It's all about the land function and about how the function of land can change so much by having the accessibility of um, of the waterways uh, from a commercial point of view. Um, you know what that does for you know transportation, for commerce, for for the little townships, um, for people moving about. It's 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 really about you know changing the natural locational advantage. Um, by using, you know, the nat- natural um, topography that you've got. Right. I mean, we, we don't buy water. We buy land. That's mm. what we do. You know, it, it's, it, it's water is open. It's free. It's, it, it, it's navigable. We, 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 you know, your, your land stops at the water's edge. You know, that's what you, you tend to buy. And as you said, one of the things that canals do is alter, you know, a piece of land that is useless it, it, it's 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 the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden a canal's cutting through it and now all of a sudden you're connected to a major waterway and now all of a sudden there's there's people going by there's trade going by there's opportunity there there's the advantage for you that all of a sudden propels your land from something that was useless to something arable i mean irrigation you know you can run irrigation yeah. lines off of it you can water you know all of a sudden land that had no absolute value at all because it was barren now all of a sudden not just has a waterway going through it but it has the ability to water it and grow crops you've got fresh water you've got all the things that come with the canal and these waterways and you propel it and even to this day i mean we we see it happening in in, in a lot of places where we don't tend to think right now the southwestern part of the united states is a very fast growing area and we're basically creating out of desert arable land and how we're doing it we're canals i mean basically pipelines canals waterways 
we're, we're siphoning water off areas, we're diverting it. Now, we can also have a, a negative impact with that too, where maybe we're, we're cutting the flow of water to areas that the water was going to and now not going as much. And that's where we come into that environmental aspect of, yeah. of canals. What are we doing? How are we changing it? So for example, when the St. Lawrence Seaway opened in 1959, which is basically a canal system, you know, you put in a series of locks and now all of a sudden the Great Lakes are accessible to the ocean in 1959. That's fantastic. Now all of a sudden you can bring deep draft ships into Lake Ontario, Lake Erie, but you're also bringing invasive spe uh, species coming in because yeah. as you pump out ballast water, yeah. now all of a sudden that those organisms that existed in that ballast water that you took in Asia or in Europe or in Africa are now dumped into fresh water in Lake Erie or Lake Ontario. And you have invasive species like uh, uh, zebra mussels that that just you know bloom and take over, or Asian carp that uh, just take over the waterways. So what about two cell? Um, you know, as you said, when we buy land, the land stops at the river. Um, I know certainly in um, the UK and certainly through Europe, it's quite a big thing at the moment given the price of land and the price of housing to actually, you know, buy a barge or a barge boat and, and fit it out as a, as a home and, and essentially live on the water where, um, you know, for quite, um, you know, quite low mooring fees, you can essentially park yourself in, you know, million dollar uh, residence um, or, or in a, in a neighborhood with million dollar re residents with, you know, beautiful water views where you get to live on the water. It's a, it's a new way of living now. Is, is there much of that going on in America? We're starting to see it a little bit, not, not as much, uh, but in areas that are heavily uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, populated, I mean, we've got a very shifting population right now for a variety of reasons. Uh, we, we're fortunate, I'm in North Carolina, so we, we've got a lot of people from up north moving down because we've got a lot of available land. And, you know, a, pop, a state that was uh, the 12th most populous state is growing in size. Uh, and moving over. But in, in areas, like you said, in, in areas where there's not as much expansion to move into, or it's very cost prohibitive, living on a boat is, is, is extremely affordable all of a sudden. Because like you said, we've done it before. We've seen it happen before, where, you know, all of a sudden you create these areas that you can develop and, and, and move it. I, I'm always fascinated by in Europe, the uh, uh, river barge system where people live on the system, you know, on the boats mm. they have, you know, they go to school, you know, I, I remember going up and down the Rhine and seeing those river barges going up and down. They've got their cars on the back deck. They can load them off and everything. And the kids go to school yeah. uh, in certain areas and they pick them back up. And, and I think it's another mode of, of, of living in some ways, this, this idea of, of being afloat and, and the idea of mobility. That, that you can move. Uh, I also think there's there's unintended consequences that these people have not quite thought through yet <laughs> and everything, the, the fact that your entire house can sink on you. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, you know, but again, we, we risk fire in houses all the time. But I think, you know, one of the things we're seeing is, is development of, uh, I'll give you New York City as the example of being able to move around New York City much easier by the water than the inland transportation system. You know, the expansion of water ferries, uh, taxis, Using the water system is, is is much more efficient. You know, I can you know you can be jammed in midtown traffic, hop on a water ferry and be uptown in no time because there's you know there's, there's not bumper to bumper on the Hudson River for it. But you know, again, you're you're seeing that uh, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot right now, and, and it's 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 a kind of derivation of that, 
is prisons being built afloat. You know, you can build these these floating prisons and and uh, okay. uh, put uh, people on them. And if you think about it, it's 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 pretty effective. You can't tunnel out. Uh, you can moor them. You know, it provides security. It's it's a buffer zone. You can you can put them on, and it's it's a unique concept uh, that's being used as one off Hawaii that. It, talking about right now and, and so uh, it, it's a unique way of living not quite a, a canal barge living but uh something a little, a little bit different, different. <laughs> it's a little bit different well, i mean but you see people buying you know rooms on cruise ships and just yeah. retiring on them and just you know living that life afloat with it and and you know one of the things i i also think that's a lot different for us today is most people in history did not live like to live very close to the water for fear of it because you know you didn't have that predict predictability of hurricane storms and, and, and concerns we do today. So I think it's a lot more, we see a lot more people shifting that way. And, and I also think we, we don't also have uh, the, the, the kind of concern we should have for water. I grew up as, I grew up as a mariner. I sailed and everything. I, I have a hearty respect for the ocean and water. I know what water, you know, I enjoy being on the water. I enjoy it a lot. I also know what it can do to you yeah. and it has no conscience at all. It yeah. will drown you in a second. It doesn't care. And and I think some people think they can defeat nature. And I think sometimes when you when you play with nature, it, it, it'll come back and bite you. Oh, Mother Nature's bigger and tougher than all of us. Absolutely, that's uh, <laughs> she's going to win that battle. Yeah, but I, I think it's it's an interesting perspective. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there for that too, because it does give people mobility. I mean, they can move, they can they can go places. You know, I, one of the reasons I love going on a cruise ship is because I can unpack once and. Yeah, be in five different places, and you know, living on a boat is, gives you that mobility too. You know, okay, well, things aren't working out in New York. Head to Boston, you know, and off you go. There's just something being out on the water too, isn't there? That's it's just almost, uh, you know, that tranquil, almost spiritual sort of um, uh, event. You know, that I think, you know, obviously we're we've got a lot of water in us as as humans, um, and as you said, there's certainly an affinity, uh, like we're you know quite uh, quite in touch with uh, with the water itself. Well, I mean, you know, I, I always go back to the Egyptians with with uh, the concept that denial means life, you know, yeah. and, and waterways are life, you know, it's just, you know, if you don't have it, you know, you don't exist. And and so, you know, we have a natural tendency to 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 be there and, and to depend on it. And at the same time, like I said, I, I think it, it, it's a conduit for us. It, it, it's not just trade. It, it, it's religion. It's society. It's economics. It's, you know, it's everything. And right now we're connected through an, a submarine cable that's running, you know, underwater from, from the United States to Australia, for example. So, you know, in many ways we're connected by the ocean right now. So, uh, you know, and, and you see that being done. It's unbelievable, really. Sal, is there anything um, you'd like to add? We've covered a fair bit of territory today. Um which has been really interesting. But um, is there anything that you think we might have missed or anything you'd like to add to, to our discussion? No, I would just add that, again, you know, the concept of canals and waterways are so important and essential. And, and I recommend to everybody, you know, take, take a look and, and appreciate where things come from. You know, we, we, we're a very interconnected society. I'm not talking about the United States and Australia. I'm talking about the globe. And we've been that way for forever, actually. You know, I, I'm always amazed when I teach my students and we go into ancient history and we find out, you know, there were Chinese coins in Pompeii. You know, there was that interconnectivity that existed from the very first and and when we kind of turn our eyes away from that and we don't really understand how important the oceans waterways canals you name it are to us we really lose out we, we lose out on that because we, we we get tunnel vision and we just see what's right in front of us but we don't see 
the big picture. Uh, right now, uh, it, it's a very trying time uh, with 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 COVID obviously going on and our dependence on trade. Uh, we see how markets impact ourselves. You know, one small event in a Chinese port, for example, all of a sudden causes goods to go up. Yeah, and and, and that was true. You know, on 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 the Erie Canal as much as it was. You know, today, you know, one little, you know, you know, disaster in a town stops up the supply chain. And now all of a sudden, you know, things started costing more. There's shortages of some kind. Mm. And, and but the other thing I always tell you is that water, water gets around, you know, water, water will leak into every, you know, spill water on a, on a floor will find every crack. And in many ways, that's true with with oceans today. We will find ways around if, you know, if the Suez gets blocked, you know, yeah. world trade doesn't stop. It just finds a different way to go. And 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 and. Uh, we see that all the time. And, and, and that's true, too, of canals. You know, the Erie Canal was a great conduit for trade. But then all of a sudden, it kind of got eclipsed by more efficient means. Mm. And, you know, it couldn't stay up. It couldn't get the money to invest and widen and expand. And it kind of got left behind. And, you know, that's true of technology all the time. And, and we see it continually evolving. So I, I think that's really the, 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 the I'd like to leave everybody with, Jeremy. Yeah, look, I'd like to say thanks for uh, for joining me today, Sal, because it's really a, a fascinating discussion. And I guess that's part of, you know, as I said, that PAFO, what it's about, it's about, you know, how property touches and changes our lives and, you know, the investment opportunities that that in itself creates. And, you know, the history of the canal and the canal system is something that as property investors, we can, we can learn a lot from. Um, you know, we always bring it back to our five drivers of infrastructure, technology, population, government and credit and you know in this story today you know it's really had it all hasn't it? i mean the, obviously the infrastructure of the the canals themselves the technology of the the steam engine and the emergency of the of the factory and population i mean you've had massive population um growth that's occurred along the the, the canal routes and allowed the migration uh, further inland um for uh, for america you know government you know you got the government granted licenses upon which the canals were constructed let alone the um uh, the governments themselves allowing the enforcement of of tolls um, to be charged and collected and levied um and of course you know huge amounts of credit that was uh, extended to actually um, fund these massive infrastructure projects that have all resulted in huge increases in commerce um, you know, uh, increases in economic activity. And of course, you know, all of that, you know, drives land and, and the land with the best uh, locational advantage, you know, gets priced higher and higher. Um, and, you know, it's still happening today. Last week, um, we did an episode with, um, I recorded one with Omar Majali about, um, you know, Brisbane in 2032 hosting the Olympics. It's the same story. It's same, same. You know, the infrastructure, you know, well, today has been really an infrastructure-driven story. Um, and the Olympics is exactly the same thing. You know, the the, the Olympics in Brisbane will create uh, an enormous amount of infrastructure brought forward. So um, I guess from our point of view, it's what makes property such a great investment that, you know, you can see this repeatable process um, occurring throughout history. And, you know, it's been great talking to you today about, you know, the Great Lakes and, and the canal systems that um, America built and used their um, uh, their natural advantage to uh, uh, to to further increase, you know, both economic pros- pros- prosperity as, as well as the uh, commerce again. So, Sal, I'd like to really say, you know, thank you. It's been a very interesting chat. No, I've enjoyed the opportunity. And uh, one of the things I always say is the maritime industry is kind of leading all other industries and areas. If you look to its history, in many ways, it, it does everything that 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 
current uh, technologies and, and industries do. So, you know, the canals were the precursors for railways and precursors for highways and airports. And, and, and you know, it, nothing's new in history. We just repeat it. We change the people. We change the time. We change technology a little bit. But uh, it's always a great uh, indicator for how things will unfold in the future. It doesn't tell you the 100% or else I'd be a, a billionaire living somewhere on a beach. But uh, it informs your opinion. So, you know, I'm, I was happy to join you today and then share a little bit about the history of canals. I love the, uh, well, the, use the saying all the time, same, same, but different. I mean, that's what history tells, isn't it? It's just yep. same, same for us. It's our five drivers. It's just they just manifest a little bit differently um, in, in each cycle. So if um, people want to get hold of you or got some questions or queries, where's the best place to um, to look you up? Sure. I'm a professor at Campbell University uh, in North Carolina. Uh, I'm on Twitter at uh, Mercogliano, uh, M-E-R-C-O-G-L-I-A-N-O-S, at Campbell.edu. Uh, it's my email. It's also my uh, uh, Twitter handle, Mercogliano-S. Uh, so you can get me on Twitter, get me by email. Uh, happy to answer any questions at all. Uh, regarding this. I, I love the opportunity to, to talk about this subject and get it out. I also have a uh, YouTube channel, uh, which is called What's What's Going On With Shipping, where I talk about what's going on in global shipping. Uh, I do episodes about two or three a week uh, with uh, w- whatever the latest news is in, in, in terms of global shipping. So uh, I, unfortunately, it tends to be disasters, but also it talks about trade and uh, uh, and uh, the kind of volatility of the trade right now and, and, and the covid so uh, happy to have everybody follow and and, and uh, feel free to uh, contact me. Well, I'll definitely put the uh, the contact details, uh, Sal, in the show notes uh, for people to uh, to look up and join you. Um, thanks again for for joining us. Um, you know, as I said, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and it's really you know I, I hope people really do start to think about you know the the infrastructure projects of of the canals and and what they've actually done. To all our listeners, if you've enjoyed today's episode, then please give us a rating or review because it helps other listeners find us and helps spread the PAFO word. Of course, keep telling your friends about us because if you've enjoyed listening to PAFO, I'm sure they will too. Thanks again, Sal, and thanks to everyone for joining me. I've been your host, Jeremy Cowden, and you've been listening to Property, Australia's favourite obsession. Until next time, let's keep obsessing about property. Any opinions or recommendations expressed should be considered general in nature, as they do not consider your personal objectives or financial circumstances. You should therefore consider these matters yourself before deciding whether the advice is appropriate to you and if you should act upon it. Should advice be sought, please seek an appropriately qualified advisor. Investing may not be appropriate for everyone, as there is inherent risk and the possibility of loss when investing in financial assets, just as there is the possibility of profits. While useful for identifying patterns, History and past performance do not guarantee future performance. Calvin Flack has a commercial relationship with guests appearing on this production. 